1: This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Good morning welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The summer holiday season is well and truly upon us. How do we know? Because the government has told us. We can go to the pub and stand at the bar. How do we know that? Because the government has told us. And now we're going to have to put up with pressure being put on our children to get vaccinated. Why? Because the government has told us. It's good for us. Is anyone else getting sick to death of being given permission to do things by this government? It's time, ladies and gentlemen, to break free. I'm not quite sure how exactly we're going to do that, but we are going to do it. But here's what I want from you today. I want to know whether you're suddenly packing a bag, trying on your swimsuit, booking a plane ticket, or does it all seem... For me, as it does, are like a bit too much trouble. Up first this morning, we're going to be talking to John Rental, Chief Political Correspondent from The Independent, of course. We'll get his take uh, on the weekend politics and we'll ask him uh, what he's making of the way that this government is kind of trying to take us out of COVID restrictions. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Helen Dale joins us with the latest news from Australia where they're going into yet another lockdown, despite having a death toll of less than a 1,000 people in Australia are getting mightily sick to death uh, of these immediate lockdowns. Another seven day one being issued in Melbourne and for the whole state of Victoria and very possibly for New South Wales as well. Ben Habib is also here to talk about the illegal migrant story. More than 400 came yesterday, arrived on our shores and it's emerged that none of them, guess what, are having quarantine in force, making a complete mockery of the rules that are facing the rest of us. It is a shocking state of affairs. Uh, We're going to be speaking to a government minister later on in the show, Paul Scully, and we will be putting that question to him, 03444991000. Plus, Mike Yardley's here as well. We'll get the latest update on his battle with the COVID vaccine that gave him a blood clot, but we'll also be seeking his advice on an expert subject for him, which is, of course, the Middle East. We might actually get a perspective from him on Syria, on Lebanon, uh, on some countries in North Africa, like Libya, where many of these migrants are actually coming from, 03444991000. On the Travel Front, we'll be checking in with Ben Clapworthy from The Times. And, of course, Helena Nicklin is here because it's Thursday and it's time for the Thursday Club. Will the cat make another appearance? The cat, of course, that I don't think exists. We shall see. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Now, of course, available on television as well. It is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And let us, without further ado, say a very good morning to Mr. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator for The Independent. John, how the devil are you? Good morning, Mike. You,
3: you've scrubbed up well again, I see. Thank you very much is indeed. Television, it's this television business. It's good for
2: you. I think it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's. Although I'm slightly, I'm taking a couple of days off coming up this weekend because I've worked out that if I don't do that, I may go slightly insane, or possibly <laughs> completely insane. I feel like I've worked constantly, as I'm sure you have, um, since last March. I think I took four days off in, in October to go to the Isle of Wight where it rained constantly. Um, so I'm not, I'm not at all convinced that, uh, despite the government now telling me I can go to France if I wish, I'm not really yep. very keen. I, I suspect you might be of the same, uh, bent.
3: Well, I've n- I've never been that keen on, uh, foreign holidays anyway. So, uh, um, I shall I shall stay where I'm put.
2: Yes, yes, indeed. So, I mean, what do you make of it all? Because it's been a funny old week, hasn't it? We started off with, uh, you know, two weeks ago being told, oh, you don't want to vaccinate your children. That's not necessary. Now suddenly uh, everybody wants to vaccinate everybody else's children. And now we're talking about maybe going down to the age of 12. People are sort yeah. of asking strange questions. I don't know quite what they're doing. I'm not quite sure where they're going. What, what, do, you, what do you think?
3: Well, I think... <laughs> It's a very difficult one, this. I mean, I'm not in favour of uh, requiring uh, children to be vaccinated against something which is not a serious threat to them. Right. Uh, now, that's... But, I mean, then you get the arguments about uh, long COVID and uh, uh, whether whether they can spread it to other people. But, I mean, that survey of antibodies showed that 94% of the British population now has, uh, has coronavirus antibodies. Uh, and therefore, some degree of, of immunity. And I don't think you can get the uh, I don't think you can get the figure much higher than that. So
2: I'm not sure it's uh, I'm not sure it's essential no i don't think it is either but but what i'm seeing though john is this kind of um, ever expanding thirst for control almost it's like you know every single week that passes when you think they're going to take us further away they kind of keep us in somehow you know nicholas sturgeon in scotland uh, talking about peeping masks on for school children still telling nightclubs that they have to be very careful if they're going to open up and you know there's a sort of sense that they're all still still being slightly more held back than they should be
3: Yeah, no, I agree with that. But uh, once again, uh, I would say that that reflects public opinion rather than being uh, imposed on the uh, on the British public. And I think, you know, Boris Johnson and to be fair to her, Nicola Sturgeon get the balance about right, which is which is not to require uh, too many things, but to to allow people to make them their own minds up. And I think that's uh, that is a shift. To a better position than we've uh, than we've been in for most of the period of the pandemic.
2: Yeah, well, I don't think if you asked any nightclub owners they'd be terribly in favour of what's been going on for the last eighteen months <laughs> in Scotland because they're not to make any money.
3: No, well, yeah, I, I mean, I feel very sorry for them, but uh, you know, there are very there are good public reasons, public health reasons for not uh, not allowing nightclubs to be open at the uh, at the peak of the pandemic.
2: Well, that's true. But that's my point, though. We're not at the peak of the pandemic. We are now at the very much at the end of the pandemic, despite all the various warnings from people like Sage, who uh, remarkably last weekend came up and, and said, well, the next variant could kill a third of the world's population. And you're kind of going, well, it could. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> equally, it might not, you know. Yeah,
3: no, I mean, the well, the experts that I uh, listen to, uh, the people who actually know most about uh, viruses, uh, sound pretty confident that... Uh, the, that new variants are not uh, are not a particular threat. I mean, obviously there you know there are unexpected uh, possibilities uh, down the road, but uh, they sound pretty confident that uh, that we're over the worst of it and that uh, uh, new variants are not not really a problem. I mean, there will have to be booster jabs and all the rest of it, but I mean that's much more like uh, dealing with uh, with flu than than it is dealing with a new pandemic
2: yes, I think that 's true um, and I, also I think it 's time for the government and i 've had this from a few commentators this week time for the government to sort of look elsewhere for what they 're doing you know a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of um, consideration currently being given to this uh, cop twenty six conference up in Scotland, which is becoming, it seems to me, less and less relevant to what we actually really need to do in the world, particularly since China and India don't seem to be getting involved. We've got the Belarusian situation going on, which is not good. We've got Iran kicking off again in the Gulf. So, I mean, there's quite a lot to, to, to look at outside of, of, of lifting COVID restrictions now.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, for, for a lot of people, I think the uh, climate change uh, issue is, is very important. And it's interesting to see both Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson uh, up in Scotland, uh, trying to uh, trying to talk about climate change, trying to drive a wedge between the uh, the SNP and their new uh, coalition or non-coalition partners, the Green Party mm. in Scotland, um, which uh, is is producing some quite interesting politics. I mean, I think uh, Keir Starmer coming out uh, today against the idea of opening a new oil field in the North Sea is is, is interesting mm. um, because, I mean, that's where uh, climate change politics really hits uh, hits real life and the real economy, because if you're going to start closing down North Sea oil fields, then uh, that is a big deal.
2: Well, exactly right. But the funny thing about both uh, Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer being in Scotland at all is that Labour um, and the Conservatives together have not got as many seats as the SNP have anyway. And so it's almost like they, they, they're sort of talking into a vacuum, aren't they? Well, yeah, but they've got to fight. They've got to fight for it. Well, they should have fought for it. Yeah, but they should have fought for it before they lost it.
3: Well, yeah. Well, I think I think that is true. But I mean, the SNP is a formidable force, Uh, but it is showing signs of uh, of weakness. Mm. And I think uh, I I think that is uh, an interesting uh, background background to the fact that both the uh, the UK party leaders are up there. Uh, because they're sensing that uh, the SNP is, is on the defensive. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon didn't get the election results she wanted in the Scottish Parliament no. election. She fell, short of, she fell short of a majority. She's happy, having to negotiate uh, with the Scottish Greens. Uh, and, you know, there's some tension there. She hasn't taken a position on, uh, on, on this North Sea oil uh, business, and it's rather awkward for her.
2: Yes. No, I mean, all the people I speak to up there say that uh, if she is going to be determined to push through with this second referendum, the, the very clear signs are now that she would not win it. It's not even a, a question of if they would get the same response as they got last time. She definitely won't yeah. win it.
3: Well, I don't know about that, but I mean, certainly it's not something you could be confident about if you were the SNP. Mm. Uh, and yet, of course, that's that's what the SNP exists for. Uh, and so she's got to keep pushing Pushing for it in the hope that the UK government uh, makes a mistake or looks as if it's arrogant and uh, and denying the Scottish people their their democratic right, which is why it was interesting that uh, Michael Gove tried out a new line last week, which was, of course, they can have a, se- a, a second referendum in Scotland when it is the settled will of the Scottish people. Yes. Uh, the, oh, uh and what does of that course, mean? well, exactly. The test for that uh, could, could be. Uh, no, surely, surely not a YouGov poll. Well, I, I think a series of YouGov polls over a period of years um, amounting to a 60-40 majority in favour of independence would be the settled will um, test that I would set. Uh, but at least it sounds as if the UK government is not standing in the way of uh, of a second independence referendum. It's not just saying no to the SNP, which would be playing into the
2: SNP's hands. Mm. Absolutely. And I think the SNP's had a pretty tough old year, hasn't it? Notwithstanding what happened with Alex Salmond, you know, the business of the police investigation into the 600,000 quid that seems to have gone south somewhere. Um, yeah. And she's definitely lost a little bit of her luster, I would say, Nicola Sturgeon. She really has. And those uh, those terrible drug deaths uh,
3: figures yes. for Scotland, five, five times worse than uh, uh, than the rest of the UK. Yeah. Uh,
2: and for seven years in a row, while they've been yeah. in charge, they've continually <laughs> what- gone up.
3: Well, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, you know, you can make some excuses when the, when the rise starts. But I mean, this has been a public health emergency for at least the past five years. And mm-hmm. the SNP has 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 done virtually nothing about it. And it's a terrible indictment. Uh, and and of course, the Scottish education system is just uh, an embarrassment. I mean, their record on 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 schools. Is is poor. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying Gavin Williamson's record on schools in England is 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 brilliant, but I mean the SNP uh, really ought to be embarrassed about uh, Scotland, which used to be an example to the world for its uh, the quality of its mm. uh, school system. Yes, uh, has has now slipped back to the extent that the SNP government refuses to to take part in international uh, statistical yeah. comparison.
2: And, and, and I know this is going to sound like a little bit of an airy-fairy-style question, uh, which, of course, you're used to coming from me, but in terms of um, the sort of post-pandemic era that we're about to enter, do you think that Wales has kind of come out of it in a way better? Although I'm not a big fan of Mark Drakeford's, but Wales seems to have come out of it slightly better, perhaps, than uh, than Scotland.
3: Yeah, no, I think Mark, Mark Drakeford has done a remarkable job. I mean, if you compare the uh, Scottish Parliament election. Uh, with, the, with the elections for the, for the Welsh uh, Senate, as we must now call it. Um, it. You know, Mark Drakeford did better than uh, expected, whereas uh, Nicola Sturgeon uh, did less well mm. than expected. Yeah. And uh, you know, Mark Drakeford, you know, turned a, turned a minority position to a majority position. He's, he's very popular in Wales. He has actually uh, established that Labour can, can make a devolved administration work. Uh, and I think that's uh, that has obviously been quite a shot
2: in, uh, in Keir-, Keir Starmer's arm. Well, he certainly looks like a better leader than Keir Starmer, but, I mean, that wouldn't be difficult, really, would it? <laughs> I mean, I, f- I must say, I did find it slightly ironic that uh, old Keir was talking to The Guardian the other day about uh, Boris Johnson's lack of leadership skills. I mean, really? You know? <laughs> well, it
3: depends what sort of leadership you're looking for. I mean, Keir, Keir Starmer offers well, someone who leads
2: from the front, perhaps.
3: Steadiness. Yeah, well, he's not a charismatic uh, leader, but he's not a uh, he's he's not a TV game show uh, comedian either. Uh, so you know, I think Keir Starmer's uh, doing doing all right, and I think uh, the the gap is closing in the opinion polls. Uh, not enough from Keir Starmer's point of view, but I mean, it's enough to uh, to to give uh, Boris Johnson a bit of a. Uh, a bit of a, uh, a you know he's he's you could you could sense the prime minister's a little bit worried about the way public opinion is ebbing away from
2: him oh i think so and it's very much a conversation that's being had this week isn't it that boris johnson's popularity is definitely it would appear at the moment anyway on the wane but stay with us john because i want to explore that a little bit more uh, with you john rental chief political commentator at the independent uh, we're talking to him right here on talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator for the Independent. John, let's pick up on the, uh, the popularity stakes for, for Boris Johnson. What's going on, do you think, inside of, you know, the, the top of the Conservative Party in terms of whether conversations are being had about Boris and whether, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak is, in fact, sort of pushing to try and make himself the eminence Greece? <laughs>
3: yeah, no, I think there's, there's definitely uh, a lot of that kind of chat going on. Um, because uh, Rishi Sunak has been uh, very much in evidence, he was on the front page of the Sunday Times writing a letter to the Prime Minister mm. urging him to open up uh, travel and, uh, and rescue the travel industry. Uh, now ministers don't normally write to each other unless, I mean, unless they're, they're trying to persuade uh, a, a colleague of, of a position. But we know that Boris Johnson actually agrees with uh, with Rishi Sunak on mm. this, so I imagine that letter was written. Uh, in order to be leaked, um, and uh, it positions Rishi Sunak very much on the uh, side of uh, Conservative MPs, who of course get uh, first choice of uh, who, the, who the next leader is going to be. They draw up the, the two-person shortlist. Yeah. So no cut com- there. Um, but you know we're obviously a long way away from uh, fr- from a, a, a leadership uh, contest. Boris Johnson's still relatively popular, but the shock of that uh, conservative uh, members uh, poll uh, where where Boris Johnson's rating just went just went through the floor really went from plus uh, 39% to uh, just 3%. I mean that's a that's an astonishing uh, drop and I think that's down to uh, the vaccine effect wearing off and people um, not liking the fact that he and Rishi Sunak tried to dodge the isolation requirement mm. a
2: couple of No, exactly right. And also the vaccine passports issue is an interesting one as well. We were talking to Andrew Bridgen the other day and he was saying he's definitely voting against it. There seems to be quite a lot of Tory MPs that (coughs) will vote against it as and when it gets presented to Parliament. Um, Not quite sure what the Labour Party is going to do about that. But I mean, if he doesn't get that through uh, or he decides not to try and put it through because he doesn't think he can get it through, what will that mean?
3: Well, I don't think you will try to get it through um, because, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's ever going to be necessary. I think this was essentially uh, a, a device just to try and persuade young people to uh, to, to get the vaccine. Um, I th- I, the practical obstacles are just too, too great. I think businesses don't want to operate uh, a passport scheme. Uh, and I think now that infections are falling, I think people won't feel that it's necessary and therefore by September when when the House of Commons comes back I think the idea will have just gone away
2: yeah that's that's kind of what I think and I hope that's true uh, but but which in a way kind of makes the, the nudging slightly more unacceptable to me as well because I don't like this idea that they're using us uh, as pawns in a game to try and make something happen they're gonna threaten us with something you know it's like when I started no. the show I'm getting a bit tired of being given permission to do things that I used to do without having to ask anyone yeah no well I
3: think I think that's right but I do think that that uh, sense is fading away now, and I mm. think when Parliament comes back, uh, I think most of these ideas will uh, w- will have will have gone away. Um, you know, and the the the, tra- the confusion over travel, uh, likewise. Uh, I mean, I do imagine that will be that will be sorted out uh, by then. Although there'll still be complaints about you know the cost of these PCR tests and confusion about who has to quarantine and 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 who doesn't. I mean, the government has not handled all that. Uh, Well, no. So it's 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 losing all the credit that it gained for having run the uh the,
2: the, the vaccine program yeah um no i think you know, that's right i mean the travel travel first businesses first... Uh, travel the reaction from the travel business this morning uh has not been favorable at all you know they're basically saying i mean i think Brittany ferries have come out and said it's too little too late we've already lost most of yeah. the summer you know as far as yeah. scotland goes some kids are going back to school next week you know most yeah. of the kids in england go back to school the first week of september there's literally there's only really three weeks left for you to go away and holiday and not everybody can suddenly drop everything and go right let's go to <laughs> no. uh, let's take two weeks off work let's just talk to the boss i'm sure he'll be fine with that and we'll all disappear <laughs> off to spain you know yeah and and families who do
3: get off uh on holiday um i mean they may they may be very pleased about it or they may find that you know some of the restrictions are still a little bit irksome uh but they're not going to give uh, boris johnson and the conservative party uh a great deal of credit for for, for the fact that they're allowed to go on holiday, mm. um, so I think that's the, that is part of the vaccine effect wearing off, and the fact that you know Britain is no longer um, so far ahead in the in the vaccine race. In fact, you know the figures published this morning you know show that Spain has actually double vaccinated a larger proportion of its population than we have
0: yeah. now. Yeah.
3: So you know the rest of Europe is catching up, and so we're not. You know Boris Johnson doesn't have that uh, that brilliant uh, trump card that he's had all year. Um, about the success of our vaccine programme.
2: No, but don't worry. You'll still keep hearing him trotting it out every chance he gets because that's uh, that's his one kind of go-to place when he doesn't like the question he's being asked. Finally, John, uh, I was talking to Nick Dubois, who I'm sure you know earlier on this week, and he said, keep an eye out for who uh, gets put in charge when Boris goes off on his holiday because he's, gonna, he's he's determined to go and have a staycation, apparently, which is very wise in his in his case. Um, but, uh, but Nick said, uh, check out who then supposedly is in charge of the government. Who's it going to be?
3: Well, it's Dominic Raab is 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 technically the number two. He's the first secretary of state. He's the next ranking cabinet minister. So if it's not him, then that will be a story.
2: Yes. Uh, well, hopefully but, they'll give him a globe or a map or something so that he can work out <laughs> where Re- Reunion Island is. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah. No. Well, th- this is this is a silly season story that comes around every every year. I do remember some fun and games under. In the Tony Blair government, as to whether it was uh, John Prescott. Well, or, who can
2: forget that scene of John Prescott holding up the uh, the crab in the jar? Do you remember that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> which he called, called Peter. Which he called Peter, which was very funny, actually. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I don't know whether, um, it, whether it means I've 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 sort of gone a bit soft in my old age, but I rather miss John Prescott, to be honest.
3: Yeah, well, we all do. We all do. He was a,
2: he was a magnificent uh,
3: politician <laughs> in in many ways, um, but. Yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't really matter who who is is technically deputising for the prime minister, especially if he's just in a tent in uh, in Scotland or wherever he's going this year. We haven't been told yet.
2: Well, maybe we should um, ask ask him in Blackford. He always seems to know where he goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine it won't be Scotland this no, year. But, no, no. Uh, I bet. I think that's probably uh, I mean, a safe bet. Yeah he might
3: do he might do what david cameron did, did which is uh take, take a helicopter to, to cornwall uh, and and take a very visible um holiday in mm. the uk and, and yeah, I was, yeah i was yeah th- i was i was thinking I was thinking, later.
2: I was thinking that all the silly isles or somewhere sort of equally eccentric
3: yeah i yeah. think that's i think that's likely but i wouldn't rule out a uh, a foreign a foreign a quick foreign holiday later.
2: Yes, we well you may well be right. John, as ever, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator uh, for The Independent The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio uh, Now, I was telling you earlier on we're going to talk about the migrant crisis today because it has once again uh, reared its ugly head in the papers, not just because so many uh, migrants crossed into Britain yesterday uh, over 400 of them uh, all in one day. You know, records are being broken seemingly day after day after day after day every time you You talk to an MP, they say, oh, well, Pretty Patel's on top of it. She's going to make sure that the rules are changed. People are going to get arrested. Well, not at the moment, they're not. And it turns out that this morning, uh, it's even worse than we thought because in the Daily Telegraph, as I was suggesting some weeks ago, they have confirmed that an awful lot of these migrants are now actually not even bothering to quarantine when they do arrive here, unlike the fact that all of the rest of us have had to do that if we were coming from France. Let's talk to Ben Habib, CEO of the First Property Group and of course former Brexit Party MEP. Ben, a very good morning to you. Welcome. A Very good morning, Mike. We've been talking about this now for uh, most of this year, I suppose. Um, The problem isn't going away. It's not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse in terms of the numbers. And now we find out what we suspected all along which is that nobody's really supervising any of these people once they get uh, to, to 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 stay in either a hotel or a hostel or wherever it is they are
1: no it's complete chaos isn't it and um i mean the fact remains that whatever they do once they get here they shouldn't have got here in the first place right yeah <laughs> that's the real problem we have a complete um breakdown in political will in government They've got an 80 seat majority. They've got the ability to deter these people. It cannot be done by cornering the boat market by buying up boats or by bribing the French to comply with their international legal obligations. It has to be done by British border force mm-hmm. and our navy if necessary. And these people have to be deterred at the point of entry into our water. That is the only way to do it. And it's not helpful for RNLI to go and pick these people up just because they fear they may be in trouble. By the way, I looked up, after all that furore over RNLI last week, I yeah. looked up how many people have actually drowned in the channel over the last 20 years, and mm. it's 300 people. Right, You know, so over 20 years, it's not as if these people are in imminent danger yeah. of drowning. No, I mean, um, there was
2: a family of four, wasn't there, I think last October, who drowned. Um, But aside from that, everybody else who gets into a dinghy in the north coast of France seems to make it over here without any problem whatsoever. They don't look like they need rescuing.
1: First-class service,
2: you know, courtesy of British Border Force and our charitable
1: enterprises that are meant to be saving British lives. Yes. And, um, you know, it's quite simple. It really is simple, Mike. They've got to grow a backbone, and we've got to tow these people back into French waters, onto French coasts, and deposit them there. And if the French take umbrage because of where bringing our naval vessels or Coast Guard into their territorial waters, so be it. Let's have it out with the French. This is a French problem they better deal with it. If they don't deal with it, we will. Yes. And we just need to be practical and forceful. It's as simple as that.
2: It really is. And it doesn't sound as though that should be so difficult to do because it's pretty galling, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, for people who have had to go to France for one reason or another, maybe for business, maybe to see members of their families, to have to quarantine for 14 days and they came back because it's Amber Plus, uh, to find that if you came illegally on a dinghy, nobody cares. <laughs> you couldn't make it up, I know. did you? You couldn't make it up. And the optics of it,
1: I mean, I'm more interested in substance, but the optics of the British government allowing these people to come across and not have to quarantine, not have to evidence a PCR test or a double vaccination or a vaccination passport when they're locking us down with all yeah. these restrictions. You know, it's just... Uh, and presumably... You're they, your
2: you know, presumably, because I get a lot of people telling me what they see uh, because they live in places like Dungeness, Folkestone, you know, Hastings. They see... What's happening? These people are wandering into the town, presumably having been given money by whoever it is that's supposed to be pulling them up because they don't come here with money, I presume. Uh, but they're going into the town buying food, buying cigarettes, buying beer. You know, they walk around freely as if they've lived here all their lives. It's an extraordinary state of affairs. And also, no matter how many times the RNLI will tell us that, oh, yeah, we've rescued all these children and women. Why is it that every video you see of people walking along a beach having arrived here from a dinghy, young men. they're all yeah. the same sort of 20-something young men?
1: Yeah, very healthy-looking 20-something young men, as far as I can see. Yeah. And, you know, the question the French need to answer is why it is that they have so many people in their country in the first place, yeah. and it comes back to freedom of movement. And as much as people don't like talking about it, You know, that Schengen zone all the way from France through to Greece is an absolute abomination for the control of illegal immigration through Europe. Mm. And the French need to understand that and get a grip of it. It's not our problem. We're out of the European Union. We were never part of the Schengen
2: zone. No, exactly. And I'm very glad that we were not. But you wouldn't think so, looking down at the beaches of the southeast of England. I mean, I was told a story the other day about Lebanon. Apparently, Syrian refugees who went to Lebanon have now discovered that Lebanon is in such a bad state, they're actually going back to Syria. You know, so, so I mean, that, there's, a, there's a lesson in that for us, isn't there? The reason there people keep, keep coming to France is because it's much better for them and they much prefer it. And in fact, yeah. it's still not the, the, the peak sort of uh, pleasurable area for them. They want to come to Britain because that's even better. So I'm sorry, yeah. I'm not suggesting that we return to a hostile environment for immigration, but I think we need to get a little bit more hostile than we are now. Uh, Absolutely. We need to tow them back to French waters. If we're not prepared to do that, at least we need to make it utterly
1: clear to them that if they try to enter the country illegally, they will never be given asylum. I can't understand why we progress asylum applications after they've entered illegally. They should be sent home uh, and and denied that option. There is a a new bill coming out, or it has come out, um, which would theoretically imprison these people for four years if they seek to come in illegally. But you know, I just don't see our government having the backbone to do to take any serious action. We've got
2: enough Where are you going to put them? I mean, we're we're being told that something like 10,000 illegal migrants have now come here this year alone so far. Right. So it could well hit 20,000. And I'm not really that interested in who they are, why they're coming here. You know, I'm not suggesting that every single one of them uh, has malicious intent because that's probably not true. But nevertheless, you know, this is not a free for all. You know, we are not a soft touch. We shouldn't be. And people who want to come and live here should be applying properly away from this country before they try and come here.
1: Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, they're a burden on the economy. It's the British taxpayer who pays for their privilege of being here. And as you say, you know, not for a minute would I want to be um, inhumane to genuine asylum seekers. But there are very sensible policies already in place which allow people to make genuine applications for asylum. There is no room for illegal immigration. There shouldn't be any sympathy with it. There should be no truck with it. You get, you know, on Twitter, whenever you say anything about illegal immigrants, you get a whole lot of people jumping down your throats as if you're some kind of inhumane um, human rights abuser. But it's not it's got nothing to do with it. This is simply an illegal activity which needs to be stopped. Yes. Control our borders. Didn't the prime minister say he's going to take back control of our borders?
2: Well, I mean, I'd love to know what these lefties would say uh, if these guys were arriving as uh, the people who smuggle them in are quite often doing with bags of cocaine with them. Would they say, oh, that's fine, you know, because the same people that smuggling the cocaine are smuggling people now. So it's a business, it's a criminal enterprise and it has to be treated as such, not treated as some kind of humanitarian rescue mission.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it mustn't be conflated. And it's really wrong to get it, you know, to to, to make that connection as if. RNLI is doing God's good work by yeah. saving these people. They aren't. No, they're actually inculcating bad illegal habits. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah, we I need mean- a firm policy. We need deterrence.
2: Yes, no, the RNLI, I'm afraid, has become a virtue signalling organisation uh, to join up with the rest of these charities who give their uh, chief executives bucket loads of money uh, and take uh, the Mickey out of the rest of us. Yeah. Shocking state of affairs. <laughs> ben, as ever, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, CEO of First Property Group and former Brexit Party MEP. The Home Office, by the way, has now confirmed that at least 482 people succeeded in crossing the Dover Strait on Wednesday. A new record for a single day. Congratulations, Priti Patel. Congratulations, the Home Office. Congratulations to the Border Force. Can we please stop them now? That's enough. Finished.
1: Yeah. The Independent Republic of
2: Mike Gray On Talk Radio And time to say a very good afternoon And warm welcome to Ben Clapworthy First time I think in, in this studio with me anyway I don't know whether you've been in it with anybody else But uh, we used to talk a lot And then we stopped talking for a while And now we're back again Makes it sound like a bad break It does doesn't it But listen <laughs> everything is fixable uh, You were doing Plank of the Week with us this week Which is very very good It's out there on YouTube if you want to go and find it uh, Ben it looks to me as though Yes, things have changed, but not everybody's happy about it, and it's still quite complicated. It is complicated.
4: So the good news, um, the the best bit of news, is that arrivals from France uh, are no longer required to required to quarantine on yes. return to the UK if they're vaccinated. That brings. Uh, France into line with all other amber countries. Now, the government has also updated its so-called green list, um, which with 73% of the population, uh, adult population double-jabbed is slightly less important than it was before. But on the green list, Austria, Germany, Slovenia, Slovakia, Latvia... Romania and Norway. Hmm. However, it's worth noting that just off the top of my head, I know for a fact that Austria and Norway won't actually let us in. So right. the green list isn't doesn't necessarily mean doesn't that you can help, no. actually go there. Um, travel companies, though, as you say, many are. Uh, happy at the fact that France has no Mm. longer got its special Amber Plus status. Um, However, they're still unhappy about the testing
2: regime. Yes, well, because Britney Ferries, I think, came out and said, well, this is too little too late. Lots of people now cannot just decide to book two weeks away they haven't taken the time off work because they weren't sure if they could and i think a lot of people are in that situation i mean i still feel very much like i don't particularly want to jump through so many hoops to get somewhere where i then have to worry about getting another test before i come back and all of that and i've been having a conversation this morning with with somebody who rang in from spain who said is a pcr test now compulsory apparently it's not no but if you do find you're having to get one of those it's much more expensive
4: well i was uh, talking yesterday to airlines uk who represent uh, British carriers, and they were saying that, you know, Spain avoided the red list, it avoided any special measures, it avoided Amber Plus, but still the Department of Transport have come up with this new thing saying, arrivals from Spain and its islands are advised to use a PCR test. Now, advise mm. is, is guidance. We know that we don't have to follow guidance right. if we don't want to, but as Airlines UK were saying to me, well, the problem is is that lots of people do want to follow guidance, do yeah. think it's an extra thing. They go, is Spain more dangerous? Is there a reason that there advising this? Well, no, it's just that they they are concerned clearly about it. They know they can't put mm. Spain on the red list because they don't have enough government-secured hotel rooms for the number of people that come there. Right. But they've found a new way to confuse people. And, you know, I've had uh, WhatsApp messages this morning and tweets and so on asking exactly the same yeah. question. I'm in Spain. Do I now need to get mm. a PCR test? No, but you can see why people are confused. Yes,
2: and that doesn't really help. And a lot of people also getting in touch with me to say they've just come back from Spain and not one person bothered to check whether they They'd had a PCR test or a lateral flow. Didn't nobody? Nobody bothered checking when they got to the airport back here. When they checked in uh, in Spain to get on the flight, they just wanted to see a piece of paper. They didn't really care what was on it. Well, you yes. know, and I mean, and that's really the reality I, of travel, isn't it?
4: I walked around uh, in Mexico trying to get a test to come back to the UK, right. um, and it was for a work trip. Before anyone says, "Why did you go to?" Mexico? Well, you were you at that
2: conference?
0: That everyone I went was to. at well, that, nice. that conference. That nice. Everyone
4: was at. Um, but the point, you know, trying to explain the, I can't even say the word specificity yeah. required for the test to the Mexicans. Right. They were looking at my this information. You know, I had it from the Department of Transport in writing, and they were looking at it like, uh, we just print you out a test, is that all right? Yeah. And, you know, this was back when there was a lot more concern. Mm. No one was really traveling. No I really thought going. they weren't going to let me in. Right. Um, but it is a it is rather farcical. And obviously what the airlines and tour operators are saying is that that requirement share a test on arrival in the UK, plus the day two PCR test. You know, PCR tests are still 60 quid typically. Mm. They're not cheap. You can find on the government's website it says there's ones for four ninety nine. Well, yeah. yeah, if you go to some well, good luck one little place yes. in one tiny little town, maybe. But generally, you're looking at sixty quid. You're looking at another and in
2: Spain, b- more than that. There was I was, like, 120 was 120 euros up to two hundred sometimes.
4: Oh uh, yeah, I was looking yesterday. The average cost for PCR tests in Spain is one hundred twenty. Mm. Even if you're taking a lateral flow test, you can get somewhere. Um, you take the lateral flow test with you, they watch you do it, you film it with a, someone back in the mm. UK watches it Present print you out your certificate, but they're still forty quid. So for a yeah. family as four, you're well, looking at thousands I mean, of pa- well, hundreds well, you of pounds. Could be, of I testing. mean, we worked
2: out certainly with four people travelling, you could be spending a thousand quid on tests, depending on how many tests you had to take. Absolutely, you can, and
4: you know that is the fact of the the, the thing that makes it so unattractive. And also, with all the forms and mm. so on, you know, it's not easy to find to make sure you've got the right approved government supplier. It's not easy to make sure you know that your lateral fl- if you want to do a lateral flow test that you take away that's definitely mm. going to arrive in time you've got to make sure you do the appointment yeah. because people do want to do it correctly and also yes you may be you do have people saying that there's no one checking it but sod's law well you not can't guarantee through, that yeah. will well, exactly. the one that gets checked the other thing that I,
2: that I found extraordinary a friend of mine went to greece yesterday um and she was telling me last night that because the the, the airline f- flight was so empty they basically amalgamated two flights and so instead of flying straight to the the resort that she was supposed to go to, they flew to a different airport, dropped off a load of people at that airport because that was where they were going, and it was a bit like one of those coach tours of Cornwall, you know, and then sat on the tarmac for an hour, and so, you know, the journey that should have taken about six hours ended up taking 12 And I think, and and she was talking to to the the, the flight crew and they were saying this is happening a lot. A lot of flights have been cancelled by the airlines because they're simply not full enough. Now, I don't know whether all of this will change that, but that's also a risk, isn't it? I
4: mean, airlines are ramping up their departures, but we're still miles behind Europe in terms of the restart of travel because our government have made it so complicated to do so. Mm. We all know that when the border should have been shut in March last year, not yeah. in January this year. We're right. now doing all of this when all the other countries mm. in the world are starting to ease their restrictions. Not all, obviously, but no. lo- lots of countries are easing their border restrictions just as we're creating mm. the most complicated tiered yeah. system. Well, it seems going. with every
2: uh, announcement it gets more complicated rather than less complicated. <laughs> well, the right? Prime
4: Minister said he wants to reduce the complication levels, which they have done slightly by getting rid of Amber Plus on France. But that was only one country. Well, it was only one co- Then they were talking about an Amber watch list. They didn't yeah. come through with that you know some common sense is yes. prevailing but still you know I walk around with a press release from the Department of Transport to come and explain it to you like <laughs> I mean printed out on massive paper I was going to say <laughs> that's very <laughs>
2: impressive paper that you printed um, it out on. Have you I, no I, care for the I,
4: climate? I can't use the uh, I can't change the settings on the printer nobody <laughs> now, listening another question, needs question that's know. coming
2: in to me right now a lot of countries like Germany only allowing a double vaccinated people in does that mean you can't take your children or how does that work? Most countries
4: are accepting children, accepting that children under the age of 18 are not likely to have been vaccinated. However, it is worth checking with individual countries. Mm. Malta... It's anyone over the age of 12 has to be double vaccinated. Right. Obviously, we're not rolling out vaccinations for children no. over the age of 12, even though we are not now, yet. Not, they probably well, will. Yes, we're looking at 16 year olds now. So absolutely, you need to check the entry requirements, which you should do on the government, the Foreign Office website through gov.uk for the country that you're going to check. Uh, type in the country in FCO and you'll find the page, click on entry requirements. But it's also worth, if, you, if you're if you definitely planning to go somewhere, uh, booking through a tour operator is a good idea because they will be a breast of the rules and requirements Um, and also that offers the best protect financial protection in terms of if the border suddenly closes Mm. Uh, an airline if you just book a flight on its own the plane may well still fly you're not entitled to a refund in that case if you've booked through a tour operator they have to deliver the holiday get an atoll protected holiday Mm. then you're the
2: safest bet for and still um, no news from America the Americans still don't want us to go no
4: news from America and the hope that the uh, allowing double or fully jab because lots of them have only had one the Johnson and Johnson fully jabbed arrivals in from uh, the US it was hoped that that would be reciprocated mm. it hasn't um i heard i was speaking to someone who's relatively in the know the other day about it and they said not before the autumn at the earliest so
2: well my mother's just gonna have to wait then because she's sitting there poor dear 97 years old haven't seen her for two years it's, absolutely it's shocking. horrible it really is um finally ben because i know you have to rush off what about prices um has this affected prices can you still get a reasonable holiday for reasonable the, money
4: there are some really good deals around at the moment actually because people simply aren't traveling in the volumes that they used to you see lots of stories about sort of 200% increase in inquiries and so on, but they're off of a very small number. Um, So actually, you know, I was looking the other day and some of the big tour operators, you're looking at 40% off prices um, compared to 2019 so there are good deals to be had
2: right brilliant stuff ben clapworthy assistant traveler at the times on the front page today by the way well done not the splash as we like to say here uh, at the independent republic of mike graham the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio right now though let's talk to paul scully small business minister uh, he's got something to tell us about employers who are being named and shamed for paying less than the minimum wage paul very good afternoon to you
5: Good afternoon. Good to see you again. Yeah, nice
2: to talk to you again. I've got a couple of questions for you that are off this, off the, uh, off the beaten track here. But let's let, let's do this first. Um, you've been doing investigations with um, Revenue and Customs. A total of two point one million pounds found to be owed to over thirty four thousand workers. What's going on?
5: Yeah, so it's something that we do on a regular basis. That we name uh employees that have uh, uh, transgressed the national minimum wage uh, rules. Uh, to make sure that one we can call them out but secondly we can raise awareness amongst employers that they've still got a duty of care to pay the lowest in the, uh, um, paid in our economy, uh, a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. Yes. Uh, and also the awareness for the employees to make sure that they know how to, where to go and how to complain if they feel they're not getting that fair wage. Yeah.
2: And I mean, is this affecting people who are kind of what you might describe as in the gig economy, people on zero hours contracts, that kind of thing?
5: It's, it's, it's a variety of things. So 47% of the um, employers wrongly deducted pay from workers' wages, including for uniforms and expenses and those kind of things. Mm. There was a third, a uh, 30% that have failed to pay workers for all the times that they have worked. So maybe uh, o- such overtime and these kind of things. And 19% paid the incorrect apprenticeship rate. So not all of these are uh, deliberate, unless some of them are technical, but as an employer, you still, you know, technicality, technical failure is still no excuse. You need to adhere to the law of the land.
2: And a lot of places uh, that are named in your scheme um, are quite well-renowned businesses, like John Lewis, One Stop uh, Stores, The Body Shop, Britannia uh, as well, Millennium Care Limited from Port Tall. But, I mean, there's a whole list. In fact, the list is so long, I'm struggling to go all the way through it, but there's an awful lot of them. Yeah, th- no, that's that's absolutely correct. Enterprise um, like, Rent-A-Car jumping out at me. Yeah, there's
5: look, there's there are some big names there. I don't really want to go into the, uh, the, the individual cases, but clearly it just goes to show that... Uh, uh, everybody needs to be aware. Every employer, big and small, needs to, to to be aware because we are talking about, you know, the national minimum wage. We're talking about the lowest paid people in our in our society. Mm-hmm. So it's really. Uh, important that we actually do protect them, especially as we're building back better. You keep hearing the phrase in our recovery about building back better. Well, we've got to build back fairer. We've got to make sure that the recovery is not on the back mm. of those pe- pe- the, the lowest paid in our society.
2: And, and without wishing to be in any way uh, accusatory, are these companies, do you think, doing this because they don't know the law? Or are they trying to take advantage of a loophole? What, what's their kind of motivation for it?
5: I suspect there will be a mixture across those across those cases, and in cases that we haven't um, uh, gone through the system yet. But uh, but there's still no. What I'm saying is that in terms of technicalities, even if it's a technical breach. There is no excuse for underpaying your staff. So that's why I'd urge any employer to check on gov.uk for the uh, for the correct guidance for their particular sector. Right.
2: And as far as you mentioned the apprenticeship rate there, um, what's the, the story if you're under, is it under 17 you can be paid less than the minimum wage and that's quite legal?
5: Yeah, I mean, what we what we do it's we're trying to increase the national minimum wage and the national living wage over the next few years, and we're also reducing the uh, the, that that the age when that sort of kicks in as well. But we've got to get the balance right between having employment opportunities for young people uh, to make it cost effective Mm. uh, and um, uh, appetising for employers to really grab hold of those. Uh, to to take on younger people and be able to pay them a fair wage so there's a difficult balance to be struck struck, which we look at every year.
2: Yeah and one of the things for example we've got at the moment is a shortage of lorry drivers because of a variety of different things. Some of them apparently have been frightened off by IR35 which is in my view a rather ludicrous plan by the HMRC to try and grab more money from people when they shouldn't be allowed to do it. But also quite a lot of um, uh, foreign based lorry drivers who had come to the UK um, and had decided now uh, because of the way that business worked out and because they were able to get bounce back loans uh, from uh, from the government uh, have basically taken those loans and disappeared.
5: Well, no, I'm not sure that you know, just because that you know, what we're finding is that people are starting to, to pay back their bounce back loans. We'll obviously, we've got fraud um, measures in place to to, to to investigate those kind of issues. Yeah, but what I'm but saying no, is if they've don't...
2: gone back to their country of origin, and I'm not making accusations about individuals, this came to me from somebody who knows the business and knows as a yeah. consultant uh, who runs haulage for companies that this has actually happened. One of the reasons there is a shortage is because a lot of uh, people from particularly Eastern European countries who were quite happy to to operate from here, have now gone back home?
5: Well, I think that there there is a a point in that, I I, I say I wasn't necessarily tied up with bounce back loans, but there is a point that some people have come back. And if you bear in mind, you go back to sort of December, January time, uh, when the uh, trade and cooperation agreement was kicking in. We also had increased testing um, across the channel as well. So we did have a lot of HGV drivers that were almost spooked by that. They didn't want to run empty uh, lorries through, uh, through, um, across the channel and be mm-hmm. caught the wrong side of the channel for them. So that's something that we're, we're working through at the moment along with the sector to try and um, encourage those back to the UK.
2: OK. And as far as the furlough system goes, um, September is the end of it, I think, isn't it? Uh, unless it gets extended any any ideas what happens then
5: well we gradually as i say you know we, we want to get the se- various sectors back up and running because i'm hearing i i speak to the hospitality sector the personal care sector health and beauty uh, retail sector and well, I'm hearing different things from different employers because for some they want the furlough to start tailing off so that they can encourage people back in and that because the, the amount that they're having to pay extra for others they're asking us to extend it because they, they they can't bring everybody back in so it's horses for courses in many ways and that's why we 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 try and work through the key thing is to get our economy back up and running again that's that you know we've put 352 billion pounds worth into the economy but that gives us 352 billion reasons to get yeah. the next bit right and lots, with, and lots of the, the economy is,
2: is kind of recovering now and, and, and people are, are happy about that. But the travel business is still, you know, tricky, isn't it? Because we still don't really see the level of tourism coming into the country that we want to see. How are you going to fix that?
5: Uh, it's, it's really tricky. It's really tricky because clearly we've got to keep our population, domestic population, safe from potential variants. Other countries are looking to do the same thing. Uh, you know I'm Minister for London as well, and fifty percent of um of tourism spend is spent within the m twenty five so it's it's new. Unu- London's really unusual in this instance that uh, normally it's the first to bounce back in recovery. actually, the centre may well be one of the last because of the size of London and its reliance on international mm. tourism. So we're doing everything we can to make sure that we can. Uh, get international tourists back but the challenges that you've been talking about before um, are are absolutely there so it's it's not gonna be easy and the the big question
2: that that people always want me to ask any minister that comes on Paul uh, is about the migrant crisis because we learned this morning not only did uh, another record number come yesterday 495 I think uh, to the beaches of the southeast of this country but a story in the telegraph says that they're not even being quarantined properly and not being properly supervised now you mentioned that obviously you want to keep the population safe how is that keeping the population safe?
5: No, I can't. I, I I don't know exactly what's happening in terms of where where they're going, how they how are they being isolated. But what I can tell you, the legislation that we were just putting through before we went into recess is going to make it uh, far harder for those um, those channels to be uh, to be used for human traffickers, for other people that are pushing um, uh, migrants towards the UK. Those pull factors, um, because clearly. These people, there are many of these people have gone through trauma, but they are in a safe country in France. And so that's why we want to make sure that they are dealt with um, in, in, in and it particularly
2: traumatized when they jump off the boats, uh, shaking their fists in the air and waving around.
5: Well, some of them are like that some of them some you know some of them may be but some of them have been undoubtedly you know they're, they're a mixed bag of people some are economic migrants some have gone through conflict uh and uh but nonetheless what well, we've got to make sure that we're not having those pull factors that they need to come across the field they need to come across the channel in the first place so we've got to be really robust and work with the french authorities as well to make sure that they understand their their duty of care yes
2: but i mean but unfortunately by the time the law kicks in there could be another ten thousand there's already ten thousand of them come this year alone it could be Twenty thousand before by the time you guys get back into Parliament. Yeah, but look, um,
5: this is why the Home Secretary has been re- really robust about our work in in the Channel. Clearly, it's an incredibly difficult job to to to, to do. You know, because it's a big body of water um, to, to to be able to police, and uh, we'll continue to mm. uh, uh, to be as forthright and robust as we can.
2: Final question, Paul. Um, You're uh, the Minister for London, as you say. Sadiq Khan today has said that he thinks that he should make it a criminal offence not to wear a mask on the Tube uh, and on Transport for London, generally speaking. Uh, This is a rule and a law that was lifted by the Prime Minister, who said it's no longer a legal requirement to wear a mask. Uh, Sadiq Khan claims that he's making representations to the government. Uh, Can you assure us that you won't let that happen?
5: Actually, he can already create bylaws as as the mayor of London. So, you know, it's again, it's pushing the uh, point of the finger of blame somewhere else. But that's, you know, I believe in people being able to have their own uh, degree of personal responsibility. And that's exactly why we got to stage four to be able to push responsibility back to the individual, and back to employers.
2: Well, can you stop him from criminalising Londoners then?
5: Well, if it's by a bylaw that he can bring in, he's he's brought it in as a uh, condition of carriage, so that TfL are able to uh, police it in that way. But I I wouldn't be uh, um, uh, supporting him in 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 criminalising uh, the the lack of mask wearing. I so think it just I think it'd
2: just be it. asking for trouble. You'd you'd be creating tension in a place where you don't really want any.
5: The entire point of the roadmap was to uh, to make sure that we, you, the fact that we don't want to have um, restricting people's freedoms for a moment longer than that we need to. I feel really uncomfortable mm. for having had to do so, but we did have to do so. Now we're at the point that we don't have to, that people can make their own choices, uh, understanding, though, that we are still living with COVID.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, nobody minds if people want to choose to wear one, I just don't want to be forced to wear one and threaten a sure. fine for not doing so. Paul Scully MP, thank you very much indeed, uh, telling us there about how he would not favour uh, the criminalising of ordinary people of this city, uh, just because Sadiq Khan wants to collect some more money uh, to paper over the cracks of his ghastly, useless, hopeless administration. Talk radio across the UK online on DAB and on your smart speaker.